We're so thrilled to have Terry and Wendy Virgo with us tonight. And uh, just thank you so much, guys, for making the journey today. And uh, I want to just say, before we have Terry up, and we'll make a much bigger round of applause in just a moment than that. That was a golf clap. Um, I want to just, Terry, right from the beginning of this project has been so uh, encouraging to us. He's a man of faith. He loves it, I think, when God's people call out to him in faith. And, um, and, and Terry's been so encouraging to us over these years. And so we really wanted to just have him here with us on this first night. I know that he's going to bring something that will be, I'm sure, with us for years and years and years that we're really going to be shaped by. So if you're able to, I'd love you to stick around and hear what Terry's going to bring in just a moment. And uh, so should we just pray for our own hearts? Father, would you help us and teach us and use Terry, your servant, Lord, to uh, bring your word to us, Lord, today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's welcome Terry up. Come on, Terry. Thank you, Tom. Well, it's an enormous joy to be here. Great privilege. I've been uh, watching your progress from a distance right through this whole journey, and it's just magnificent. I can't great honor uh, to stand here tonight, and I'm sure for many of you, for me, first time I've seen it, maybe for some of you who regard this as your house, your worship place, uh, your first sight of this magnificent room, also uh, all that's been uh, designed and provided for you. I've yet to see around the building, but uh, just to see this room is magnificent, uh, really superb. I do uh, congratulate you uh, for what you've done. I know that it uh, represents vision. It takes vision to do something like this. It really does. It takes vision uh, to say to a people, let's, let's raise 300,000 and then let's raise it again and let's do this. And that. It takes vision. I do applaud that. It's a wonderful gift. You won't, you won't find it everywhere. You won't find uh, every church has got vision. They're sometimes just ticking over, but it takes vision to bring you here. And I want to encourage you to just keep believing God that the vision that God has given to Tom and the eldership team here is a tremendous thing to be caught up in something. And of course, that takes uh, faith. It's not just wild things. Faith to see it through courage. There must have been times when, boy, what are we doing here? Uh, it takes courage. It also takes sacrifice. And some really uh, good choices will have been made here. Uh, I've been involved in the church in Brighton where we spent most of our lives and uh, I guess did a similar thing, though I must say, this looks more impressive. Uh, but, you know, we had to raise. In the end, I, could, I never believed it. When we first started, I, I never believed it was going to cost us over to do it. Is my sound coming and going a bit? Okay, we okay? And, uh, it just takes, it takes sacrifice, I know. There'll be people here who must have said, okay, we won't take the holiday, we'll put it in. We won't buy the car yet, we'll put it in. We won't do the extension, we'll put it in. People have been making those kind of decisions for this to happen. I know that. There'll be some wonderful stories hidden around here. And also some wonderful experiences of God's response. God, God watches that. He, it's interesting, we kind of avert our gaze uh, when the offering boxes come around. You won't find the elders looking and saying, hmm, yeah, I see. Uh, we don't try to do that. But Jesus looked in. Jesus looked at the offerings to see what was humming, and he was more concerned with the heart, and he must have seen so much excellent heart, your giving, your courage, the decisions, decisions you made. Now, let's put Jesus first. Let's put this vision first. You won't be able to do this without that. And then the hard work, labor, patience. I, I do affirm you. I'm, I come here. Great joy to be here. And of course, it's the building, but behind the building. We've heard some being honoured and applauded so brightly, but there must be, at depth here, a lot of commitment, and I thank God for that. It means a great deal. And many are looking on. Many have applauded. Many have said, wow, what a building. But behind it, there's so much more, so much more, and it's because of that that we can have faith as we press forward. When I was preparing for uh, tonight, I thought I'll you know, speak about the church, maybe look at Ephesians, you know, that great epistle about the church, the body, the bride, the army, uh, all about the church. And I, but I, I've been personally, in my devotional reading, 
walking through the book of Hebrews for weeks and weeks. And I felt God drew me there. And especially this week, I was praying and seeking God. I just came across these verses, and this is what I feel I'm meant to speak to you about tonight. Hebrews 12, sorry, chapter 13, and verses 12 to 14. Therefore, Jesus, that he might, through his own blood, suffered, or suffered outside the gate. So, let us go out to him. Yeah, let's do that, shall we? I can feel it coming and going a bit. Let us go out to him, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here, we don't have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Now, Hebrews is a difficult book in many ways. I've always loved the beginning and I've loved Hebrews 11 and 12, and, but I've, I've really enjoyed going through it. And it's a kind of consistent theme, and it's constantly looking forward. It's always saying there's something better, there's something better that we're to go for. But you'll find again and again, your focus is brought to Jesus, as our worship has been tonight. Focused on, I love worship that's focused on Jesus. And here, this, this epistle especially is focused on Jesus. And uh, you may remember that it says in chapter 2, we see Jesus. Interesting that the Apostle Paul talks about the Lord, or in Christ, or in, in Christ Jesus. But the writer to the Hebrews, he, he often directs our thoughts to Jesus, to Jesus. And so we see Jesus, chapter 2. Chapter 3, consider Jesus. Chapter 4, we have a great high priest, Jesus Chapter 6, Jesus has entered as a forerunner. Chapter 12, Tooths, run the race, fixing your eyes on Jesus. This is a, quite unique, actually, if you look through all the epistles. You won't find this kind of uh, uh, pattern coming through in the way that it comes in the book of Hebrews. Looking to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, we see Jesus. And here, in this particular little passage I've read to you, therefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Outside. And we might feel, hey, hey, we've arrived. You know, we've been a bit hidden away, but now with this building, man alive, we've arrived. Uh, we have, uh, Ipswich will have to take notice of us. We're on the scene. Here we are. We've arrived. We're right in the centre and here this passage is saying something a little bit different. It's saying Jesus suffered outside. Outside. There's something in the human heart that doesn't like the idea of being an outsider. It craves to be an insider. We all like that. I'd like to be an insider. You know, some of you may have sent your child off to school for the first time in recent weeks, and you thought, I do hope. He finds some good friends. I hope he's not marginalized. I hope he's not hanging around the edge. I hope he's drawn in. That horrible experience I still remember when you're at school and, you're, and two guys are told to pick two teams for a soccer game or something. You know, you, hey, John, James, you choose the teams. And you sit there thinking, please don't let me the one that's left at the end, <laughs> the one that nobody wants. The one you say, all right, I have him as well. You know, I'm kind of an outsider. There's something in us that wants to be an insider. We read in this passage, Jesus went outside. Now, it wasn't always like that for him. At one time, he was, if you like, the greatest insider. People left their jobs just to be with him. They gave up their fishing. They gave up their tax collecting. They just wanted to be with him. They left everything to be with him. Crowds gathered to him. Sometimes it says he couldn't enter a town because the crowds were so great. People just wanted to be around him. Can I sit on your right hand? Can I sit on your left hand? He's the greatest insider. He's the focal point. He's the center. When he comes to town, they all shout, Hosanna, Hosanna. Here he comes, the one who's gathering everybody, the one who's got every eye fixed upon him. He's the great insider. Until we come to this 
verse and this part of the story. Jesus suffered outside. He went outside the gate, outside the city. There's something here that happened. There came a, a day in the life of the Lord Jesus when everything changed. And he warned his disciples again and again that it was going to happen. It was going to happen. This great insider was going to become the greatest outsider the world has ever been. All his friends ran away. The crowd turned against him. He was utterly, utterly alone. And not only did his friends forsake him, all heaven was silent. Even God forsook him. He was, where are you, my God, my God, you've forsaken me. You know, when Stephen was stoned to death, Stephen saw the heavens opened, saw Jesus stand. He saw the throne of God. Wow, wow, what a welcome. Jesus didn't see anything. He's totally forsaken. He's outside. Nobody wants him. He's outside. Not celebrated. Not the center of the party. The ultimate outsider. They left him, and he's without, outside the gate. But he was outside for a purpose. It's not that he lost his way. It's not that he ran out of gas. He was outside because he went outside, it says, to sanctify the people. He was excluded so that we could be included. He would put outside for our salvation. And, and he fulfilled what all the Old Testament spoke of. And the book of Hebrews often compares what was in the past with what is now and says this is a much better covenant. Because in the Old Testament, they had a day of atonement where they killed a bull for the sin of the priest himself. And then they brought two goats and they slit the throat of the goat and sprinkled blood on the mercy seat. And then Aaron laid hands on the other goats as if to pass on the sin of the whole nation and then this goat wandered off outside the city into the wilderness. He just wandered out into emptiness, just left and left and left. Jesus suffered outside, not an insider, an outsider, one like a scapegoat to take away our guilt. And what comes in this passage is this, let us then go out to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. When I, when I became a Christian, I was, uh, I was 16. I didn't have Christian background, whatever. I, I, I didn't live like a Christian. I lived just like the opposite to that. And then I heard about Jesus. And I, I, I heard he was alive. And he died for my sins. And the very first night I ever heard it, I mean, it was just completely out of the blue. But it was my own sister, so I knew she wasn't lying to me. She wasn't some a con artist. She'd found something. And I could see it was true. And I, and, and I knelt in my home. And I, I received Christ. I felt it happen. I thought, wow, this, this is real. Jesus is alive. And it was very exciting. But the thing that I didn't want to do was to go outside the camp. That's the last thing I wanted to do. Because I had a gang of friends that I'd been going around with for a few years. And, uh, I mean, we used to live it up and have fun. And I was part of that world. That was my world. And, and it was wonderful to have Jesus in my heart now. But this invitation, come outside the camp. Oh, wow, that's one thing I didn't want to do. What, what, what do you have to do? You have to become quaint. And I even started going to church on Sundays. And I went to church on Sunday morning. Every, every week I was in church on Sunday morning. But nothing else changed in my life. I really kept my old lifestyle completely. I was just in church on Sundays. And at that age, you know, between 16 and 20, I was very girl conscious. I liked having a smart girl on my arm, an elegant looking woman who knew how to do her hair and what to dress. And I'd, I'd look at the girls in church in those days. Boy, it was difficult those days. <laughs> I thought, wow, I, 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 don't wanna, <laughs> I can't handle this. I don't want to go outside the camp. I, I love to be where it's at where the action is, where the people are that are enjoying life. And I'd, I'd found Jesus. And I knew it was real. And I believed I'm going to heaven. But somehow, I don't know, I didn't want to go out, out outside. I wanted to be accepted. 
I wanted to be liked. I wanted to be part of the scene. And this was a big deal for me until just one Sunday. I'm sitting in church one Sunday. And the guy preached on Galatians where it says, you did run well. Who has hindered you that you no longer obey the truth? And I felt God spoke to me that day. It was, it was powerful. It was like, I, I actually, I, I'd had times when I'd been convicted. We had a great pastor, a great preacher, and I was often convicted, but I kind of brushed it off and carried on. And on this day, when this guy preached, it went straight to my soul. And it was like God said this, I want your life. I want it now. And I won't speak to you about this again. And it scared the life out of me. Because I'd known conviction. And do you know, conviction makes you feel comfortable. <laughs> it makes you feel you belong. You know, I should be doing better, but I belong. God keeps telling me off. You know you're a kid when you get told off. You know you belong to. But then there was this, look, I want your life. And there was this, I won't speak to you about this again. I thought, God, that is terrifying. That means I could drift off into this world I'm living in and you're never going to call me back. You're going to let me drift. I don't want that, actually. It's funny, isn't it? It's like I didn't want to give myself wholly to God, but I, didn't, I don't want to lose what I've got. I don't want to give up Jesus. And that night I, I just went home and I got up on my knees. I said, Lord, you can have it all. And, and actually, it was quite a painful time. I did lose all my friends. I went outside the camp. I've never done that before. Uh, so I didn't go out drinking anymore. I didn't go to parties anymore. Whole lifestyle that was my lifestyle, another world I lived in. And then I went to church on Sundays. But these two had never met before. And now I had to get outside the camp. And I remember not long after this, I was, I was at a, with a group of these Christians I'd now become associated with. And I was at a railway station. We were all going off somewhere together. And I was standing next to the plainest girl I'd ever seen. She was one of the youth group. And I was kind of thinking, gosh, do you have to stand next to me? And I was going through this terrible. And one of my cool friends that I'd not seen for a little while got off the train and saw me and said, hi, Terry. Then he looked at her. And he said, hi, Terry. <laughs> and I thought, oh, God, I just died. And, and a friend of mine, we started doing open air preaching. And she, a, a girl in the team was a, a school teacher. And she held up a banner as we were all on Brighton Seafront, singing and preaching as we really gave ourselves to God and got filled with the Spirit and started pressing on to be witnesses to Jesus. And she held up this banner, which said something like, repent on it, you know. And, and she stood there, and she's a school teacher, and then she said to me, one of my school kids just walked by on the upper promenade. I think I just died, she said. I think I just died. Outside the camp. It's painful going outside the camp. Especially at certain ages, it's painful for our kids going outside the camp. At school today. If you're a Christian in Afghanistan, you're outside the camp. Or Iraq, or Iran, or Saudi Arabia, or much of India, or China, or Russia. Hey, you become a Christian, you're outside. Because there's another culture dominating that nation. And that's how it was when the Bible was written. Come to Jesus outside. So, beloved, although we've put up this fabulous building here, and although we say, wow, I could be really proud of this, the invitation actually is to come outside, to come outside the culture, to come out. We're not trying to be culturally relevant. See, culturally relevant sounds good, but sometimes it means just be as much like them as you can. So do we have to become quaint? That was the thing I thought, do I have to become like the Amish? I wonder if you ever saw that movie, The Witness. Harrison Ford, terrific movie. And, and this young guy, he's running away. He's a policeman, but he's running away from a situation. And he joins the Amish as a hiding place. And, and we, Wendy and I lived in Missouri for two years. And there was an, an Amish community. And, and they were Christians. 
And so they demonstrated it by being out of date. They all wore clothes that looked really strange. And they didn't use cars with machines. They used horses and buggies because, well, we don't, you know, we're outside in this strange, strange way. You know, we're, we're different in that we're quaint. We're weird. That's not what Jesus is saying. And that's the thing I fear. I don't want to be kind of weird. I don't want to be strange. But I do want to be identified with Jesus. And this is what this passage says, invites us, let us go out to him outside the camp. That's what guys are doing. I had two friends. We were praying for them last week. They were in Kabul, in Afghanistan. They're going to stay on. They've been there for years. And they're, they're praying all the time. Lord, watch over us. They're outside the camp, boy. They're there, and they've got to say, Lord, teach us how to walk through this. Teach us how to walk through this. There were, I understood, 400 Christians in Iran. There's a move of revival going on in Iran. There's now 2 million Christians in Iran. And they're all, yeah, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. They're all outside the camp. They're all out of step with society. And beloved, we are now in such a secular society. The night I was saved, my sister said to me, I've become a Christian. I said back in the 1950s, I said, aren't we all Christians? Well, I was born in England. We're Christians, aren't we? How things have changed, eh? How standards have changed, how values have changed. And now in so many situations, well, actually, I don't believe that. Now, school teachers, they put into all sorts of pressures. What are, you, what are you allowed to say? What are you not allowed to say? Our nurses, are you allowed to pray for someone? Well, you'd rather not. And there's all kinds of situations now where the culture has so changed that we, in coming to Jesus, go outside the camp. And although I think we can be rightly proud of what's happened here and thank God for it and keep on using this center, it's not to say, hey, we've arrived. Because for every one of us, we say, no, I'm going outside the camp. And actually, that's at the root of what you've done here. That's why some of you have said, actually, I won't take that big holiday. We'll put it in the offering. It's because you've got a different value system that's absolutely amazing to your neighbors who would never understand why you did such a thing. And they won't understand why at the workplace you don't take part in things. You don't join in certain jokes. Not that we want to be weird, but we're outside the camp. Come, let us go out to him. He went outside the camp, and it, the invitation is, let us go out to him. That was the atmosphere of the New Testament. 1 Peter says, we are aliens and strangers, exiles. It's like... The exiles are coming, the aliens are coming, and it's us. You know, we are outsiders. Are you happy to be known as an outsider in the workplace, at the school gate? Well, we might want to be accepted. Yeah, of course we do. We don't want to become peculiar, but there's a different value system. Jesus went outside the gate. He invites us, let us go out to him outside the gate. Bearing his reproach. Bearing his reproach. Peter says this in 1 Peter 4, they're surprised that you no longer join with them in their excesses and they malign you. You don't take part anymore. Things you used to take part in, you don't do it anymore. And they malign you. You're an alien, you're an exile, you're outside. That's the atmosphere of the New Testament. We bear his reproach. We identify with his rejection. And then to work through the verse, it says this, for here we don't have a lasting city. We don't belong. We don't belong to this city. And so it says, let's go out to him, bearing his reproach. It's not let's go out to religion, it's let go out to Jesus. But it does mean building a completely different kind of life. To finding in him everything that we need. To, to say, Lord, can you really meet my needs? Can you really meet my needs? I know for myself, 
my own testimony was that when I, I said, right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to live for Jesus now. And I remember I, I had this conviction, I've got to do it. And I said to my friends in Brighton, uh, I'm not coming up with you anymore. They said, ah, you'll be back with us next week. I said, no, I'm not. And that's it. I've, I've become a Christian. I've not talked about it much, but I'm going to live for Jesus. Nah, you'll be back. You'll be back. And I remember the next Saturday came round. And we lived for the weekends. I'm in a boring job in London. I used to commute every day up and down. And you live for the weekends. That was the whole deal. You live for the parties and the fun and the week you endured. And, 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 and Saturday came round. And I thought, wow, I'm not going with them anymore. And I used to drive a motor scooter, and I got on my motor scooter, and, I, and I, I drove down to Brighton, and all the young people on the streets, it comes alive at the weekends, loads of young people. And I loved that buzz, I loved that atmosphere. And I drove around, I drove around, I thought, wow, this is fun. I thought, no, I'm not going there anymore. And I drove back. I drove back to the Hove End, which is quiet and difficult and strange. And, and I came home, and my parents were not vaguely interested in Christianity, they're sitting in one room, and I sat in the other room on a Saturday night. I thought, I'm going to die. And they were saying, the young people at the church were saying, following Jesus is life with a capital L. And I thought, this is hell with a capital H. I'm sitting at home on a Saturday night. I hate this. I hate this. I'm going to die of thirst. And I, for the first time ever, I picked up a Bible. I just read the book of Acts. I've never done that before. I just started reading it. And in my heart was this bubble of hope. Hey, there's something here that's wonderful. This isn't boring. This is incredible. And I'm just reading what happened. You're in prison, out of prison. Signs and wonders and miracles and glory and growth and blessing. I thought, I got so excited, and I thought, hey, I'm excited. I thought I was going to die of thirst, and I found life. Remember Jesus came to the woman at the well and says she'd had five husbands, and the guy she's now living with is not her husband. Remember Elizabeth Taylor, great and beautiful actress from Hollywood? She had, I think, five husbands. I remember seeing a, a, a number of quotes of hers. Each time, there was another quote. I found the one. He's going to give me joy. I found the one. I found the one. You know, after, one after another. And, and, uh, it never worked. It never worked. This woman, she must have been a stunner. Five guys were willing to get married to her. She must have been a magnificent woman. And then the, the ones with her now, well, they're not married. The one you live with, not married. Maybe she's losing some of her looks. He's happy to pitch up with her, but he's not going to marry her. And then Jesus said to her, can you give me something to drink? She said, no. <laughs> Argued, won't bother with the detail. Then he said this, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who was speaking to you, you would ask of him. He'd give you living water. And you would have in you a well of water springing up to everlasting life. And she said, well, give me this water. Then I wouldn't have to keep coming to this well. She understood something about that. He was offering her not just a drink. He's offering her the well on the inside. I won't have to keep coming here. I think a lot of us Christians don't even understand this. He said, I'm, giving you a, I'm offering you a well on the inside. And she came to see something. She was so excited. She went and told the whole village about it. They all turned up. She discovered something that she could live by. See, beloved, when we found Jesus, we are willing, really, to make this step. To say, no, no, there's nothing in this world. Paul says this, I glory in the cross of Christ. The old rugged cross. I glory in the cross. What about it? By which I was crucified to the world, and the world was crucified to me. He doesn't glory in it, even talking about Jesus, actually. I glory in the cross by which I was crucified to the world. And the world was crucified to me. It's got nothing to offer me. There's no answer. 
There's nothing there for me. This poor woman who married five times, she said, ah, there's nothing there for me. Jesus said, I could give you living water. Let us come to Jesus. And let's really discover Jesus. He's not saying, come to religion. Come to me. Come to me and drink. If anyone's weary, come to me and rest. Take my yoke upon him. Learn of me. You'll find rest for your soul. How the world would love to find rest and comfort. The new phrase you hear all the time now, oh, they're mentally problem. They're mental problems. Mentally sick. Oh, so many because they've turned away. They're living in a world that's dying. Come to, let's go to Jesus. Now, he's outside the camp, but let's come to him. And he'll give you peace and joy and drink and the bread of life. He'll pick you up. He'll look after you. He'll prepare for you. He'll be your shepherd. He'll take you through this. Come to Jesus. But it does mean coming out to him outside the city. Understanding the city's got nothing to offer. The city's a barren place. Jesus said, come out to me. I'll give you rest. I'll meet your needs. I'll take your guilt away. I'll give you a clean conscience. You can wake up tomorrow morning and say, I have a clean conscience before God. What a privilege. I'm not trying to prove myself anymore. I'm not trying to, if I could only pray enough, God will accept me. No, I don't do that. If I read enough Bible verses, perhaps he'll accept me. No, no, Jesus died for me. Jesus, by one offering, has sanctified and perfected us for all time. Hallelujah. So we come to Jesus, and tomorrow we wake up righteous in God's sight, accepted in the Beloved. We can drink of the Spirit. We can find enough in Him. We don't need to find acceptance in this culture. It's something we really need. We don't need it. And Beloved, the nations are waiting really to see a church that looks like it's found something else, really found something, not into religion, not into formality, not into rule-keeping, but into Jesus. And really knowing him, the stuff we've been singing about him. He's the Lord, he's for us, and he's with us, he's there for us. And so we go out to him. Let us go out to him, bearing his reproach. Yes, sometimes it'll be tough. I remember once after I'd been through this experience, on a Saturday night I started going to the British Youth for Christ in Brighton. And we used to go out around the, the centre of Brighton and fish people into a coffee bar and preach to them. And, you know, life had completely changed for me. And I came home. My dad was a school caretaker. And there was a basement room in the school. It was a big hall, a very big hall, underground. And we used to get coloured paper and put it around the lights. We used to buy a barrel of beer. And we used to say, if you bring a bottle, you can come. And we'd get dozens and dozens of these parties. It was just an absolute rave up in the school that I lived right next to. And then when I got right, I thought, I'm not going there anymore. It's so strange to come out of that world. I remember one night I came home from Youth for Christ on a Saturday night. I'm kneeling by my bed. And after I'd left them, they, my old friends went to my dad and said, can we still hire the room? And he said, yeah, sure. And I'm kneeling and saying, Lord, good night, sort of thing. And I felt God said, go down to the party. I thought, oh, no, no, it's scary. No, go to the party. And I remember I went down and got my tomato juice and I, I wandered around and said hi to people. And one of my old friends, who was a dear friend of mine, said, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. Why don't you get out? Oh, that hurt me so much. Get out. Get out. It's like you don't belong. There's something in our hearts that belongs to another city. And you bear the reproach of Christ. That's what this verse says. You bear that reproach. But then notice this. It says, come out to Jesus outside the camp. And then it says this. And for here we don't have a lasting city. But we're looking for the city which is to come. We're coming out to another city. Another alternative society. One that Jesus is building. And again, that's the image that you find again and again in the Bible. Ur, Abraham was in a great city, Ur of the Chaldees. And, and, and God called him. And it says he went out looking for a city which has foundations. He, he, he left what he had. And he heard a call 
and he believed God. And he built his life on what God promised. He looked for another kind of city. He looked for a city God was going to give. He left the city he was in. He's looking for the city God has. And he says he lived in tents. He's seen something that captured his heart. And then you get the same with Moses. Moses is the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He's got everything he wants. He's rich, powerful. He's a young prince. And then it says, by faith... Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, counting greater riches to be numbered with the despised people and counting the reproach of Christ greater riches. The same story. It comes again and again in Hebrews. It's like, look, you can have everything you like, Moses. Look at this mountain. Look at this incredible place. Look at these pyramids. Look, you know, look at the whole deal. Egypt was a very impressive place. People still study Egyptology. They were brilliant architects, were brilliant their medical breakthroughs, phenomenal, great armies. And he's a prince. He's the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And it says, by faith. I want us to understand this. It isn't because your mum and dad said you shouldn't do this. No, it's not like that at all. He's, he's become a mature man. He's become a mature man now. And by faith. He said, no, no, there's more in going with the despised people. There's more going with the reproach, this slave crowd. You see, his parents must have had a tremendous vision. And he was born as a beautiful baby. You remember the story? Male children should be slaughtered. They, they acted in faith, refused to kill him, put him out on the Nile. You know the story. Pharaoh's daughter finds him. Wow, what a beautiful baby. His sister runs out, shall I find someone to look after him for you? Yeah, yeah, you look after him. And so his parents get an opportunity to plant vision in his heart. For some years, we're Abraham's children. God's promised us we are the light of the world. We are a chosen people. We're God's special treasure. God's got his hand on us. And I can imagine Moses saying, you're a load of slaves. You're a load of slaves. What's the deal? No, no, we've carried, and they must have been able to impart their faith, what kept them going through the slavery, what kept them going through all the difficulties and the challenges of being slaves. There was a vision in their hearts was so great that they somehow planted it in Moses' heart. And then Moses went away to Egypt University. And then when he goes to Egypt University, they tell him a whole load of other stuff. Look at this, look at this, look at this. Happens to loads of our kids. We raise them, we tell them about Jesus. We hope they fall in love with Jesus. Then they go away. School, to university, and they get told a completely different story. And for Moses, two, two worlds are battling in his heart. Do I believe this invisible vision that my parents have had? That we've got significance? That we've got eternity? That, we're, that God's got his hand on us? Or do I believe there's substantial stuff? I mean, look, an army, look. Finance, strength, power, pyramids, the whole deal. And these two worlds, this invisible world, promise, very visible world of prestige and success. And it says, when he became mature, by faith, Moses chose to be identified with the people of God. And he counted the reproach of Christ greater riches. And he did it by faith. She did it by faith. He didn't do it because he had to. We always think of Moses as a war man, because later he received the Ten Commandments and so on. But actually, he's in Hebrews 11. He's a faith man. He believed it. He wasn't being sacrificial. He thought, that's a better deal. That's the, that, that, it's a better deal. and that, We need to have that persuasion. It's a better deal. To go God's way. It's not what you have to do. If you're a Christian, you have to do it. See, when I was in this kind of middle ground as a new Christian, and I used to go to these parties, I'd say, are you coming to the party? i say, oh, no, I'm not coming to the party. Why not? You'd love it. There'd be so much, there'd be so much booze there, and all these girls would be there. Are you coming to the party? No, I'm not coming. I said, why not? And then on Monday, I go back to, to work. I say, what was the party like? Oh, you loved it. It was fantastic. Tell me more. What about it? What about it? Why don't you come? Well, I'm a Christian now. 
You know, we don't go to parties. Would you like to become a Christian? Then you won't be allowed to go. <laughs> you don't go because you're not allowed to. That wasn't how it was with Moses. He didn't identify because he'd seen something better. He was captured. I found something better. Have you found something better? So you'll hate being an outsider unless you found something better. Being outside is painful unless you found something better. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, God has given me apostleship to bring about the obedience that comes from faith among the nations. See, God ought to be obeyed. He's God. We ought to do what he says. But Paul says, no, I'm not going out with a big stick saying, obey God, obey God. He wants the obedience that comes from faith. I believe God. And some of you might say, you know, I put 20,000 in that offering. You think, you did what? Well, I believe God. You're crazy. Yeah, I know. It's fun. <laughs> I've, I've thrown my lot in. This wouldn't be here if there wasn't the testimony of lots of people here. I did it. You think, what did I do? I was crazy. What did I? And you may have had a conversation, husband and wife, are you really going to? Yeah, I'm going to. What are you doing? Well, I believe in this. But no one says you've got to. No, I know I haven't got to. I want to. I want to. See, that, but God wants a load of people who want to serve him, who want to worship him. Come on, don't, we don't want heaven full of people saying, oh, we've got to do it, we're in heaven now. And it's what we want to do. Because God's changed our hearts. We found Jesus, who's met our every need. And we're happy to be identified with him, though there comes some reproach with it. And we'll be increasingly beloved, unless we see a revival in our nation, which we pray for. Increasingly, standards changing, changing, changing. Our kids being told, would you, what would you want to be, a boy or a girl? We'll change it. Would you know? And that's so much terrible thinking in our world. Let's abort this baby. Let's do that. I mean, it's, going, it's getting worse and worse and worse. We are outside of all this. We're outside. Looking for a city. A city that is to come. Jesus outside preparing a city which is to come. Let's go out to him, to his city. Now, the Bible is, someone said it's the tale of two cities. If you go from Genesis to Revelation, it's a tale of two cities. You'll find Babylon and Jerusalem, first of all, in Genesis, and then you'll find it in the book of Revelation, the tale of two cities. And Babylon is that great city, that city that doesn't need God, that wealthy city, that powerful city, that influential city, this culture, this city without God. That's Babylon in the Bible. Then there's Jerusalem, that holy city that comes down from God. And we're being invited, Paul said it this way, our citizenship is from heaven, from which we await the Savior. He's saying that to the Philippian church. The Philippian church was a church that had just received a Roman uh, stamp of approval, if you like. It was a great Roman city outside of Rome. It's like once Wendy and I went to Victoria, Canada, which is more like London than London is. It's incredible. It's just all, all English, weird. Lots of Americans go to Victoria because they can't afford to come to England because it's less England. That's how Philippi would have been like. It was just Rome. It's just Rome. And they used to get visits sometimes from the Caesar. And they await the coming of the Caesar. They await the, the Caesar will visit us. And Paul writes to the Philippians, he says... Our citizenship is from heaven, from which we await the Savior, who can change our vile bodies to be like his glorious body, who subdues all things because of his power. Not some Caesar. He may look pretty powerful at the moment. Caesars are frighteningly powerful. Come outside. Why, we've got another citizenship. Another, God is building another city. And, and we're going through a time, God says, the book of Hebrews is full of this. He says, I'm going to shake all things. What cannot be shaken. Beloved, we're living through such a shaking time. 
We see fires, we see floods, we see earthquakes, we see a global pandemic. I will shake all things. So that the thing which cannot be shaken, what's that? It's the city of God. The city. It's going to stand forever. Beloved, we're part of another culture, another city. It's not that we found a bit of religion. Jesus went outside the camp for us. He, he, he hung on a cross, naked. It was utterly, utterly shameful. He bore our reproach, the reproach that we were worthy of. All our sin. He, went, he said, I'll take it, let me take it, so they can go free. Jesus said, I'll carry your reproach. And so they spat on him, and he hung there, and he... I mean, it's the most disgusting way of dying you can imagine. Even Cicero said, we won't even mention the word crucifixion. We won't mention it. It's such a vile thing. It's just for slaves. It doesn't even look religious. You say, well, Jesus died for us on a cross. It wasn't at the temple. It's outside the gate. It's a nothing. He's nothing. And he was willing to go outside the gate. And this passage says, now, come on, outside the camp. For here we have no continuing city, but we look for a city which is to come. Beloved, you've called yourself hope. And that's what the scripture talks about. We have an anchor within the veil. We have a hope which is within the veil, an anchor that's there for us. God's provided it for us. An anchor to the soul, a hope set before us. Beloved, I do pray God will continue blessing you as your great banner outside. I love it. It looks magnificent. It looks even more magnificent at night when it shines out there. Hope. Hope. What, are we, what is this hope? I'll tell you what it is. It's another city that's going to last forever. And people will get more and more scared. And our news gets more and more scary. People have been killed. Horrible news. Financial pressures. People hating one another. Politics has become so hateful, hostile. We live in a world manifestly uglier and uglier. We say, no, no, we're coming out. No, that doesn't mean we can't be part of. You know, you live in this world. We've got to live in this world. But we're not rooted in it. We're not rooted in it. You know, I should probably go and see the new James Bond movie. We can still do that if we want to. But I'm not dependent on it. It's not, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait for this. I can't wait for that. I can't. No, no, we're not preoccupied with what this world can come up with. We may taste some of it. It's indifferent to us, but we will make much more serious choices. We'll carry reproach in the workplace, in the coffee queue, when you know they've just rejected you because you're that religious guy. And that hurts sometimes. But no, we found Jesus. So let us go to him outside the gate, bearing his reproach, how we evaluate things, how we handle our finance. When we live godly, let me try, just close with one illustration. David Fernandez, one of our pastors in, in Mumbai, he was a businessman when I first met him. He became a Christian, and he was very successful in business. And... Uh, he did so well, they wanted to promote him. And he'd run his section without any compromise, which was pretty unknown in that culture. But he'd done so well, they wanted him. And they promoted him, promoted him. And they promoted him into the business until he became head of a very large department. And, and the, the time came around, which came around each year, where there had to be a major bribe. Because they built a building with more floors than you're allowed to build. They built it with too many floors. You're only allowed to say it was five floors, and they built it six. And so they had to pay a bribe every year for doing this, trying to get them off it. And India's full of bribery. And he was going to do it. And they said to, they said to him, you know, pay the bribe. And he said, no, I won't do that. They said, no, you have to pay the bribe. He said, no, I won't. They said, look, you did so well in the build. We don't want to lose you. You did so well in the business. But look, you're head of a large department now, and we always pay this bribe. He said, no, I won't do it. And they said, well, you can't. you've got to do it. 
He said, I won't do it. I'm a Christian man. I won't do it. I said, well, we don't want to lose you, but hey, you could pay this bribe. He said, well, I'm afraid you'll have to fire me. I didn't want to fire him. So they kind of looked into it all over again, and they found that if a building has too many floors, but it's, if it's been like it for so many years, it's okay, it's done. And they had been paying a bribe years and years after. And they had been wasting the bribe because it's an established thing. You've passed the years. It's okay now. And they said, oh, grief, look what we... They promoted him again. <laughs> but beloved, you know, he went outside. He stood his ground. He was different. He risked everything because of Jesus. Now he's a pastor. And when he, when he became a pastor, they insisted on paying his first year salary as a pastor and gave him a car from the business. You see, not every story ends so well. But he was determined to bring another city. And, and we can keep on establishing the city of God, affecting the culture by the grace of God. Let's believe God that, yes, we've arrived, but not, hey, we're part of the scene now, but we're offering hope, another hope that goes within the veil, that lasts forever. The city of God is coming down out of heaven like a bride for a husband. That other city, it says in Revelation 18, Babylon, that great city has fallen. In one hour, it's gone. It's gone. It's all over. The city of God will last forever. Let's give ourselves to that city, shall we? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for showing us your city. Jesus, we worship you for going outside the gate you pure, holy, spotless Son of God, that you're willing, Lord, to be pushed and shoved and beaten and smashed to a cross, bearing our reproach. We are so grateful that you went like a scapegoat wandering off into the wilderness, the outsider, the greatest outsider the world's ever known. Lord, because you're starting another city outside, Thank you for the invitation to come out to you. Lord, I pray keep blessing this beautiful church. Bless these beautiful people who have given and worked and believed. Lord, let your hand continue to be upon us. Help us to make great choices that believe in God, that believe that you know what you're doing, that trust you, that make decisions because of things we believe. Not because we have to, but because we believe it. We're full of confidence in it, with our hearts, with our pocketbooks, with our desire to be accepted and with the in crowd, to be admired and all that stuff that we feel sometimes. Set us free, Lord, that we can live for your city. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.